welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Amen. Amen. Well, to begin, I want you to picture, I want you to have an imagination for a moment with me. I want you to picture Jesus. And I know it's Christmas, so I'm not talking about you know, Jesus in a manger, baby Jesus. I'm also not talking about portrait portrayal of Jesus, you know, well-conditioned blonde-haired Jesus. Nothing wrong with that Jesus except the blonde hair. I don't want you to picture that. I want you to picture like real Jesus, like everyday life Jesus, like growing up in the humble home of Mary and Joseph Jesus. You know, maybe perhaps picture Jesus as like a 25-year-old man. You know, he'd been growing up in this home and Joseph, of course, was a carpenter, and as a carpenter, he passed the family trade on to Jesus, and Jesus was learning every day what it meant to saw down trees, to hammer, to, to learn the craftsmanship of turning logs into the essentials of life. I mean, how many know that Jesus probably made some really sick furniture, right? Like he did. Jesus wasn't born with the knowledge of how to build things. I mean, he literally had to learn the craft of carpentry from Joseph. He spent thousands of days and hours, think about it, covered or sent in the, in the sawdust covered workshop. And the Son of God, he experienced the daily toil of human labor. I even imagine normal things happening to Jesus during that. Like, imagine he's crafting a piece of wood, right? And, and, and he has the unfortunate incident of a, a piece of wood, a splinter coming and getting embedded in his hand, and, 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 and he doesn't, in that moment, just, you know, say a prayer and say, I pray in the name of myself to remove the splinter. No, he, he, he literally feels the pain of the moment, right? He has to look at the wound. He has to figure out how to take it out. And this sort of stuff happened his whole life. Like, when he was eight years old and he's just learning the trade, he, had, he got a splinter. But at that time, it was accompanied with tears, and, and of course, Joseph had to come over and calm him and help him. Why am I talking about an imaginary splinter? (laughs) Because those sorts of moments in the life of Jesus are accompanied with a great significance. The significance that Jesus felt the same things that you and I feel. The significance that Jesus came and in the flesh, he embraced what it meant to be human. So today I want to talk about Jesus the human not as a way to diminish his divinity or his power or his purpose in his coming, but as a way to encourage you and me as humans. Jesus was sent into the world with limits. (laughs) Everyone say limits. Just as he embraced those limits, he wants you to embrace your limits. I want you to catch that real quick. Did you catch that? You have limits. Think about it like a speed limit, right? The road you drove on this morning to get here. (laughs) Some of you drove under the speed limit. And by some, I mean probably none of you. (laughs) Some of you pushed the needle right right up to the speed limit and you drive the speed limit. And some of you pushed past the limit. Anybody want to be honest today? Get right before the Lord and admit that you went over the speed limit today? (laughs) Go ahead. How many of you guys regularly go over the speed limit? Raise your hand. We love to push the limits, don't we? 
And apparently we love to break law. Now you may be thinking, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Jesus didn't have limits. He was unlimited. What are you talking about, Tim? Can you just imagine, like literally the majority of his life, he lived with every limit that you and I live with. And it wasn't until the appointed time when the Holy Spirit came upon him and he had access to the unlimited power of God. But listen, even in those moments, he still lived with the limits of a man. He fed 5,000, and then afterwards he took a nap. He had to go to sleep that night because he was not unlimited in his flesh. He said about, he talked about it himself. He said, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. He talked about the limits of man and the, imposs- and the unlimited nature of God. So here's what I want to do today. And you're like, where are we going with this? I want to take a moment on this Christmas Eve and I want to talk about our human limits. I want to talk about the fact that we have this unlimited grace and love and power of God, yet we also have limits. I will admit right at the outset of this message that it's going to be a bit different. Uh, It's a different sort of sermon for Christmas. We're not talking about, you know, shepherds and wise men and mangers in this sermon. Not trying to neglect that, but most of us have heard that. We've even talked about it the last few weeks. And we know the great truths of that story, but we're, as we celebrate Christ's coming today, uh, I just really thought that this idea that Jesus was human really should encourage us today. That it really could be something that you take with you and you think about in the way that you relate to the Lord and the fact that you realize, you know, he embraced some things about our humanity and about what it means to not have sort of the unlimited ability to do whatever we want, that there's something about that, that he was teaching us a way of life. He was teaching us something. Now, I say that, and I'm hoping that as we talk about this detail, it will mess with us in a really good way, because Jesus was born in the world as a human, on purpose and with purpose. And so I want to look at Philippians 2, verse 7. I think this will help us. He says, when the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. Everyone say, he stayed human. He did. Yes. That was amazing. It was an incredibly humbling process. Did you catch that? It was humbling. Humility. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death, the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. So he embraced limits to the full extent of his death. And I just want to say, I'm not sure you and I are all that great at embracing limits. We can't even drive the speed limit. Now, I will say some limits are meant to be tested, right? I'm not talking about adventure seeking or athletics or the fields of science and medicine where I'm like, I think God's given us that territory to explore. So let's go. Let's go explore the limits of what's possible, what humans can do. I'm talking about a different type of limit today. Can I just expose what I believe is the dirty little secret? Humans all feel deep down underneath the surface, deep in the psyche of what it means to be human. I feel like we all believe this. We think we aren't doing enough. We think we aren't doing enough. And what I mean by that is we're not doing enough 
for God. We're not doing enough for them. We're not doing enough for ourselves. We're not doing enough for retirement someday. We're not doing enough for work or for the future or for our kids or, or for our own health. Or we're not resting enough or reading enough or we're not saving enough money or we're not, we're not doing enough spiritually or missionally or personally or relationally. Anybody feel that? That you're not doing enough? The feeling deep down in us is that we are pushing up against the edge of our limits. And when we are unaware that we actually have limits and how to live within them, we live a life that God never demonstrated through Jesus and a life that he intends us to live. There's an author, Ruth Haley Barton, who writes extensively and brilliantly, by the way, on the subject of spiritual transformation, has an incredible list of symptoms that expose if you are dangerously close to your limit. Do you guys wanna know if you're dangerously close to your limit? These are the symptoms, there's eight of them real quick, I'll just go over them. Number one, easily irritable. <laughs> Meaning he normally wouldn't bother you, but for some reason, you're just bothered by this. Like maybe it's a child making a mistake or perhaps it's someone doing something stupid in traffic and all of a sudden you are losing your temper. You are yelling and you are cussing and you are doing whatever it is you do when you're irritated. Again, these are, these are symptoms of being at the edge of your limit. Number two, you're restless, you can't get settled, you know, you, you have a gnawing sense that there's something else that you have to do. I don't know if you ever have that feeling inside of you that nothing is quite finished or done. And so it keeps you from resting, resting and more importantly, it keeps you from peace. Number three, compulsive overworking. Believe it or not, 25% of Americans are addicted to overworking. I know that surprises you. Like, that they never, they can never really put it down. They got to keep working. They got to look at the phone. They got to get the emails done. They got to do whatever it is to get the job done. And they're trying to live, we are trying to live a life that is actually inhumane when we do this. Number four, emotional numbness. Emotional numbness. When we are pushing our limits, we may notice that we can't feel anything. It takes energy to process human emotion. So when we're depleted, we lack emotional intelligence to feel empathy for others or compassion for those in need or even the feelings of our own pain. We're numb to it. Number five, disconnect from our calling. You find yourself growing through the motions and feel completely disconnected to who you are and what you're most passionate to. Number six, unable to attend to your health. What I mean by that is you don't have time you, to, to take care of yourself. You don't, you don't have the time to not only rest right, but you don't have the time to maybe exercise or eat right or even go to the doctor when you need to. Number seven, hoarding energy. This is an interesting one. When we are running on empty, we begin to feel threatened when anyone asks anything of us. And we start self-protecting our time and our schedules as if anybody that comes into our life saying, hey, I have an idea, we start to hoard what's ours and push them away and keep everybody at an arm's length. And then number eight, spiritual practice slippage. Some of you have experienced this. The thing that you believe that you actually know is healthy and good for you, like prayer or reading scripture or solitude or being in a small group, whatever it is, you just never find the ability to actually quite get there consistently and it just drives you crazy. Again, these are symptoms. You may be feeling one, two, five, all eight of them, whatever it is, and it's just a way to expose are you close to your limit. And when I say limits, you may be thinking, oh, is Tim talking about busyness? Are you talking about hurry, being hurried, like that, that subject that's very common these days? And although, although those are very important uh, 
conversations to have. How do we reduce those things in our life? How do we live a life that's not so hurried, but one that is a lot, has a lot healthier pace? Great stuff. Uh, but I actually want to talk about something different. I want to talk about why do we feel like we aren't doing enough? Why? Why do we feel that way? Why is a great question, isn't it? Everyone say why. Why do we feel like we should push the limits of our humanness physically, emotionally, mentally? Why do we feel the need to keep going? Why do we feel this need? Where does it come from? Well, I want to go to a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says this. We, on the other hand, will not boast beyond our proper limit, but we will keep within the limits of our commission sphere of service. By the way, this is the amplified version. It's amplifying this thing, right? Commission, our sphere of service, our territory, authority, which God has granted to us as a measure. Now, what are we talking about? Paul, who wrote this, is talking about his calling to spread the gospel to lots of cities and territories. And, and he's talking about this calling that has this sphere, right? He's talking about this sphere, and he's saying, God has given me a calling, an authority, a territory, and I'm going to live into that. I'm not going to push beyond the limits of that. Like, he's given me a life to live, and I'm going to live that life. I'm not going to push into someone else's life or do something that God's not called me to do. If God's called me to something, I'm going to stay in those limits. Can you imagine living a life like that? When you're like, I'm clear about what God's called me to, and I'm going to live within those limits. I'm not going to try and be something that he doesn't want me to be. Can you imagine a life in which you're saying the grass is not always greener over there? I'm not trying to be like that. I'm not going to be jealous of that. I'm not going to compare myself to that. I'm not going to be like, like that family or that person. I'm actually going to understand who God has made me to be, who God has created me to be, the sphere that he's given me, the calling he's giving me, and I'm going to understand that those limits are not limiting. They are my blessing. Mm. Sounds so elementary, but I promise you it's not. You know, one of the ways we recognize if we are living beyond our limits is to notice when we longingly look at other versions of life, other people's life, and, it's like, and think, man, I wish I had that. Or we think, why do they have that? I deserve that more than them. So we are back to this question, right? Why do we feel like we're not doing enough? I feel like this question partially is answered by what I just mentioned, but I think it's also something else. Because underneath this dirty little secret that we constantly feel the gnawing sense in our soul that we're not doing enough is this. We have a belief. Many of us have this belief. We believe that limits don't apply to me. I got this. You're like, I don't know if I believe that. Well, you ever wonder why people max out credit cards? Limits don't apply to me. I got this. Listen, you probably had a great reason to max out your credit card. I get it. But when you live beyond your limit, it will cost you dearly. You ever wonder why you can't keep up with your schedule? Limits don't apply to me, I got this, I can do it all. You ever wonder why you're always tired? Limits don't apply to me, I only need five hours of sleep every night. You ever wonder why, you know, you're continually comparing yourself to others and how you measure up? You think limits don't apply to me, I got this. I can impress them, I can keep up. I don't want them to know I'm broke or I'm hurting or I'm in pain or I need rest. Ever wonder why you can't be content or satisfied with your life? Ever wonder why there, there's feeling in your side of you there's always more to be accomplished because you think limits don't apply to me. Surely this isn't all that God has for me. I'm more important than this. This sort of thinking 
It's the seeds of narcissism. Bet you didn't think on Christmas Eve 2023 we'd be talking about narcissism. But if there's anything that is completely opposite of the entry of Jesus into this world, this is it. Jesus came into this world as anything, everything opposite of narcissism. He came as everything opposite of spectacular and look at me. He came in in the most humble way. And so Jesus the human is teaching us something about life. He's teaching us something. Now no one identifies themselves as, as narcissist. No one's walking around and going, man, I'm just, I'm dealing with narcissism, Tim. Can you pray for me? Never had that prayer request. Have had a lot of ones, and I go, you know what? I think there's a deeper problem here, but I don't ever bring it up. No one likes to think about this one because we're really, really good at seeing the narcissism in others. You know, part of the reason all of us have shades of narcissism in us is because our culture, our culture rewards the narcissist. You're like, how so? Think about politics. We vote for narcissism. We do. It's what we do and we can't help it. Because as soon as that humble, really kind politician gets up, we chew them up and spit them out. They don't have what it takes. Where's the backbone? Or think about the people we position in leadership, the corporate ladder of success. We know what it We've heard the stories, people climbing over one another, abusing and using people to get to the top. We are spoon-fed achievement, winning at all costs, and success are the hallmarks of a great life. We reward it. Even in ministry, pastors are treated as if what they say is, thus saith the Lord, becoming spiritual narcissists. And this can become a toxic, a toxic source of church hurt for so many people. And I just want to say this. I believe in spiritual authority. I believe God calls some, but here's the thing I know is that authority is rooted in what Jesus rooted his authority in. It's bathed in humility. That is what unlocks it. And before you think, well, goodness, I'm never those. I'm not a politician or corporate CEO and a pastor, thank goodness. I'm good. Well, the system is rigged for you. The system is rigged for you to constantly do what you want, buy what you want, try what you want, do what you want. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. You do you and I'll do me at all costs. Otherwise, you're selling yourself short. This is the ethics of postmodern narcissism. This is how we live. This is what we value. So maybe the reason we think deep down in our heart and in our psyche that we're not doing enough is because we haven't embraced the human limits that God so clearly and dramatically showed for us in Jesus the carpenter. Who definitely sold himself short for the sake of something greater. You see, when we live with limits, we are refusing to, we are refusing to embrace that we are human, that does not have a, that doesn't have a specific sphere, that we are unlimited, that life isn't all about us, that we, we refuse that. And when we refuse the limits that God has given us, guess what happens then? When we refuse that, we lack peace in our life. We, laugh, we, we lack rest for our soul. 
and we keep searching for the life that God really has for us. You know, Jesus came and he says, I'm going to give peace on earth, goodwill towards men. The news of him coming would bring great joy to all people. Peace, goodness, joy is a result of his limits. So perhaps the gift to you today is just to tell you something really, really simple, that you are enough. Period. You are enough. Look at your neighbor and say, you're enough. Listen, this isn't the cheesy cliche, you are enough. This isn't the Barbie, you're enough. Right? Listen, <laughs> it's not that. Living with limits are his gift to you. He has a purpose for the limits he gives us, even if you might not like them right now. He knows what he's doing and why he's doing it, so you can quit trying to live a life and a calling that's not yours. You can quit trying to get out of your sphere, your territory, because his gift to you is found in the life that he's called you to. His limits that he gives you, they become your blessing, but they also become your testimony. And you're like, Tim, what are we talking about? We're talking about the fact that God created you. He made you with a specific plan in mind. And you know what? You may feel like that has limited your life, but I'm telling you, it's your blessing. It's your purpose. You know, often it's easier to preach up here about the impossible things that God does. God's amazing, right? He does the miraculous and sometimes, you know, I love to talk about how we need to blow up the box. We need to live beyond limits. We need to not settle for the status quo. That is an easier message to preach because often we need that message. And it's always true that God can do the impossible. He can do the miraculous. He can do things beyond imagination. We need to know that. But we also need to know this, that Jesus demonstrated limits. That message is also true. And the four things that I want to just share with you real quickly about the limits that he gives us while also being connected to the unlimited God or this, is that he did, Jesus demonstrated limit, limits through humility. He held back any selfish ambition or desire. He humbly lived a life with simplicity, constantly refusing to take credit or to build himself up. Christ demonstrated limits through sacrifice. Think about it. By letting go of personal gain, even in his earthly life, having nowhere to lay his head, and ultimately all the way unto his death, Jesus sacrificed himself for us. Jesus demonstrated limits through radical love. He, I mean, it, he, he was extending compassion and love to people who had rejected him over and over again. We know that he, he lived the life in which he would leave the 99 to go after the one, expressing radical love, extravagant love, reckless love. That's all he did. He also demonstrated limits through obedience. He didn't self-protect or bow out when it was hard. He was in the garden saying, Lord, do I have to? But if I do, I will be obedient. He trusted in God's plan for his life, being obedient all the way unto his death. You see, embracing your limits does not mean settling in life. It means embracing a life of humility, sacrifice, love, and obedience. The world teaches us to go, you're unlimited. You can do whatever you want. 
Jesus showed us something different. It's a different way of life. Jesus, the human, teaches us how to live, who to be. And I just pray that Jesus, the human, will give rest to your soul today, that you are enough. That he loves you as you are. That he's not pushing you to do more. In fact, the thing he's most interested in you about is not about what you do. It's about having a relationship with you. That's his most cherished hope for you. That you would have a relationship. And I think one of the coolest pictures of that relationship is how he ended his ministry. You know, that last night that he was with his disciples before he was arrested and eventually crucified, he gathered around a table and he had what we call communion. And communion, if you think about the word, is literally just, it's, it's this collision of two things. It's the collision of our limits and the unlimited power of God. You understand that, right? Like Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He said, listen, I want you to come together. I want you to have this moment where you remember what I'm going to do because I'm going to do something that you really, really need and you can't do it yourself. And so he says, come. I'm the bread of life, of course. He gives this whole picture around the table. He takes the most fundamental elements of life, food and drink, and he says, I'm going to use these elements to help you remember me. And I think this Christmas Eve, what's really appropriate is to say, not only are you going to remember his sacrifice today and what he's done for us, but we're going to remember that Jesus is the greatest gift the world has ever received. I mean, we're going to be giving away gifts this weekend or tomorrow or today, or maybe you've already done it. There's no gift greater than Jesus. No gift that's greater. Like he came and gave us what we could never give ourselves. We needed, the, the fundamental need of every human is that we could be reconciled to God, that the brokenness could be made right. And only through Jesus, thanks be to God for sending his son Jesus for us, did he make that brokenness right? Did he reconcile us to God? Jesus came and he answered every question we have about peace and hope and where do I find meaning in life? He's like, it's, it's through me. It's through Jesus. And so when we celebrate communion, it is a moment in which we get to recognize that we are limited. Jesus did what we can't do for us. But through that limit of our human flesh, we are given access to the unlimited grace, love, power of God. Can I get an amen? Will you stand with me? We're going to take communion together. You can grab the little communion cup that was on your chair when you came in today. Before you open it, I want to give you a moment to just pray and prepare your own heart. But listen, um, in the scriptures it says that we should examine our heart before we take communion, and here's why. Jesus said, I want all believers, anyone who follows me, they can partake in communion. So if you follow Jesus today, we, this, you're invited to participate in this. But he, he says, I want you to examine your heart before you take communion because I want you to just, I don't want you to do this out of tradition or routine or I want you to do it with intention and meaning. I want you to cleanse your heart before me to say, Lord, forgive me of my sin and forgive me of the things that I've done against you. And I want to be pure and right before you. So when I take this bread and I drink this cup, that I'm doing it with a full heart of, of honor and praise and humility before you. So I want to give you just a few seconds to say maybe bow your head on your own. 
and just say, Lord, I want to prepare my own heart. I want to examine myself and just say, Lord, I want to make myself pure before you. So as I take this and remember you, I have right, my, I have my heart right with you. So would you just bow your heads, maybe take just a few, few moments, just examine. I'm the bread of life. And when he said that, little did we know when he first said it that sometime later he'd be gathered around a table and say, once again, I want you to see this bread and I want you to think of me because this, this bread represents my body that will be broken for you and given for you. And so when we take the bread in this little wafer here, we take it and we remember that Jesus was a human <laughs> and that he felt what we felt. And then he lived a life like we lived. But he sacrificed and he loved and he was humble and he was obedient unto his death. So we take this today remembering what Christ has done. You can prepare the next side, open up the juice part. Jesus, of course, said, now I want you to take this cup and I want you to drink it. And when you drink it, I want you to remember my blood that will be spilt for you. Of course, Jesus was in reference to the sacrifice that they were all accustomed to, that every year to atone for sin, they would have to sacrifice innocent lambs. And Jesus became the lamb of God that would take away all the sins of the world for all time. And he said, so when you drink this cup, you'll remember that I gave the last and final and only sacrifice that will ever set you free. So we drink this today, proclaiming freedom, and grace and the love of Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.